Out Alive is made possible by Outside Plus subscribers. iOS users can now explore content from more than 30 publications in the Outside Plus app. Browse gear reviews, training plans, travel guides, videos, and the survival stories you love. Download the Outside Plus app now from the App Store and use your Outside Plus login to get started. Outside Plus, the one subscription to fuel all your adventures. Have you ever heard the urban legend that moss only grows on the north side of trees? The story goes that if you're lost, you can use nature's compass to point your way to safety. The only trouble is, it's not actually true. While scientifically this idea makes sense, moss prefers shady, damp environments. Those conditions can be found caused by other trees or slopes. Moss can grow on any hard surface. We've seen these myths perpetuated in movies, books, and even by well-meaning but misinformed individuals. We're looking at you, Bear Girls. Despite living in the age of information, some survival myths continue to persist and every year, some unlucky adventurers make headlines when they fall prey to following these misconceived notions. Joining us today is a true authority on survival, a renowned expert and seer instructor, Jesse Krebs. With years of experience, Jesse is a wealth of knowledge. The former alone contestant and master class instructor is here to shed light on a few of these common misconceptions and reveal the truth about these survival myths once and for all. I made a decision to survive. You're in that survival mode. The the idea of dying wasn't in my head. I knew immediately it was the worst case scenario. I was in a fight for my life situation. Whenever you walk out on these trails, you're in their house. I'm Louisa Albanese, and you're listening to Out Alive by Backpacker. In each episode of this podcast, we'll bring you real stories of real people who survived the unsurvivable. I saw the rope zip through the rappel ring, and I couldn't do anything. Learn what went wrong, what went right, and how you can escape if the worst case scenario happens to you. There is no way we would find anybody alive. Jesse, thanks so much for joining us today. We have a burning survival question, and we're hoping you could set the record straight once and for all. If you're in a survival scenario and you don't have water, should you drink your own pee to stay alive? No, (laughs) you should not. Uh, It's, you know, it's a common myth that's just persisted forever. And I think part of that is because of uh, TV and, you know, it's people love the shock value. So we put it on reality TV and people drink their pee and people are on the other side going, ew, look at that. Isn't that gross? So I think it's to try to draw people in. But no, we said 30 years ago in the military, people survive in spite of drinking their urine, not because of it. And this is logical if you really think about it. One is that we shouldn't even eat food unless we have a water source available. You shouldn't eat. And the reason for this is our digestive system requires a lot of water. It needs a lot. 
So if you don't have enough water in the system and you're eating, you're actually dehydrating yourself faster. And this makes sense, right? Now we have to pull in, if you eat food, now your stomach has to pull in water and juices and all kinds of stuff to help that break down and pass through our system. It has to separate out any of the urine and the stuff that's going into the urea. It needs to have enough water in the in the poo, basically, to make that go through so you're not going to get constipated. Um, so it needs water for that to function. And if you eat without water in a survival situation, you're just dehydrating yourself faster. Makes sense? And if I shouldn't even be eating then, if I don't have a water source, then why would I basically drink poison? drink stuff that my body was trying to get rid of. Our body is a pretty high percentage of water and our blood even higher. Our blood is like 90% water. And it sounds fine if you look at like the science. Urine is like 95% water. Why wouldn't I drink that? But seawater is 96% water. And we know that we shouldn't drink seawater. Most of us know that. If you drink ocean water, it's got too much salt in it way too salty. And by drinking all that, all that salt, your body has to pull more water from your tissues to eliminate the salt. So the same thing happens when you're drinking urine. It's got urea, it's got all kinds of things that your body didn't want to begin with. So if you ingest it, your body has to use water to help flush this out of your system and it's not going to use any of it. Make sense? So it's like trying to take a step forward, but you're actually taking two steps back. So we don't, we never have to drink our urine. Yay! <laughs> we wanted to know from Jesse, what else are we getting wrong when it comes to survival myths? Firecraft, people think fire is what you do. If you're cold, if you're miserable, uh, if you're wet, you need to build a fire. And that's actually your, your last line of defense. Before fire comes clothing and equipment, beef that up as best you can. Make your clothing as bomber-proof as you possibly can. Insulate it. If you don't have much insulation, you're cold, then you're gonna grab the driest stuff that's like leafy and fluffy, punk wood, leaves, any vegetation you can find, you're gonna stuff that in your clothing to make it like a puffy, right? To give yourself more dead air space. So that's one. And then your second line of defense is a shelter. And this is not only because I most things on the planet get by just fine with just a shelter and whatever they use as clothing, their fur, their feathers, their scales, whatever. I mean, things live on the planet all over the place with just those two things. Fire is our last line of defense also because it, it you can imagine like standing outside and trying to get a fire going when it's pouring rain or the wind is howling, right? One, even if I get the fire lit, this is not a fun place to be. You're, you're doing the constant rotisserie, like one side is toward the fire, trying to stay warm. And while your other side is getting soaking wet and wind blasted, then you're rotating around. And the other side is right. This, this is not a good scenario. But two, imagine just trying to start that fire when it's really nasty weather if you don't have a shelter up, right? If you've got your wood prepped and you're sitting there trying to light a tinder literally while rain is falling on it, this is, this is not a recipe for success. So most people will try to jump right to fire because again, it looks like the sexy survival skill and it's what they see on TV. But really you should be focusing on your clothing first and your shelter second. And that shelter, either it's just for you and you're improvising a sleeping bag inside that shelter as well, if you don't have one, or you're just making the shelter and huddling in that, getting warm stuff around you. And then later, if you want to, you can build a separate shelter or you can modify the shelter you have to be able to contain a fire underneath it. But fire is like this teeny tiny little fragile life form when you're trying to start it. And you can imagine trying to, to have a baby in the middle of a snowstorm, right? Without some kind of a shelter. That just doesn't make sense. And fire is a lot like that. It's this fragile, tiny little thing that you really got to nurture when it's first born. Um, and then again, even if it's raging, 
great. It's raging in a snowstorm. I don't want to be here. I want to go to bed. <laughs> so have your shelter and your bed made. So that's another big, big one that drives me a little nuts and unfortunately kills a lot of people. I remember as a kid watching old Westerns where someone would be bit by a rattlesnake and their companion would take out a knife, cut the wound and try to suck the venom out. Is this possible? You know, our, our blood is moving pretty quick right through our body. And so the way the fangs work is they inject right into the tissue. And sometimes it's muscle, but it's very quickly, it's injecting it pretty deep into the flesh. And that's being carried by your, your tissue and your blood flow pretty quickly away from that bite site. So the odds of being able to get on there and, and suck anything out, it, it wouldn't be enough to matter. And definitely cutting just in, introduces it more. It just makes a bigger wound and more problems later on. So Unfortunately, no, the cut and suck method has been debunked. We don't do that anymore. Your best method usually is to try not to let the person exercise. And really it depends on the type of venom and the type of snake we're talking about. But usually here in the States, we're talking about um, some kind of rattlesnake. Um, and sometimes you might have coral snakes and those attack different systems, their venom. And generally you want to keep the person sitting calmly. You don't want them to get really high blood pressure. You don't want, because it's just moving that venom through the blood faster and through the organs faster. So we want them to relax. Or if it's you, just sit down, chill, think happy thoughts. Um, if you're on a trail and somebody's walking along, you can try to fairly calmly tell them what's happened. And hopefully they can hope, help either get you out of there, like pick you up and help carry you, or can help somebody else bring some anti-venom in. Um, it's a good idea to, I mean, most people now have their phones with them, so take a picture of the snake. If you know what snake did it and it's still around, it's a really good idea to try to get a good ID on that snake so they know what to give you. And if you have any kind of a pen or heck, just about anything that you can mark, if it starts to swell, that you can mark that area. Um, the, a good thing to remember too is that a, a fairly large percentage of at least larger snakes, like adult snakes, when they bite, it's called a dry bite, meaning they didn't inject venom into you. So try not to freak out because <laughs> they're not really, they're venom. They try to save that for what they're going to eat. And they know you're not big, you're too much too big for them to eat. And hopefully if most snakes in the United States at least. So they're not going to try to do that. So it, it's most likely it's going to be a dry bite. So just relax and calm down, look for swelling. Um, and it, you should, for most healthy adults, you should be fine. It's when like they had an incident where somebody was running down the trail. So their blood was already pumping really fast. It was a trail runner and he got bit on the foot, on the ankle or someplace on the leg. And because his blood was so quick, uh, pumping so quickly and because the venom for rattlesnake specifically attacks muscle tissue, it got to the heart very quickly and it wasn't a dry bite, it was a wet bite. And so, um, and so he ended up dying. But generally, if you can calm yourself down, it'll help distribute that venom. Your body will start dealing with it as best it can. Uh, and you should be fine. For most healthy adults, just sit down and relax. You're not gonna be having a good time for a few hours, but you'll survive. is written and produced by me, Louisa Albanese, and Zoe Gates. Mixing and sound design is by Jason Patton. Thanks so much to Jesse Krebs for sharing her knowledge with us. Out Alive is made possible by the members of Outside Plus. We'll be back in two weeks with another survival story. 